Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. Insights that listeners are going to take from what Dev Patel from Dental Beauty had to share with us are going to blow them away. Yeah, I think it's... uh... For me, it was showing that one at an early age and how he's wired Mm. and to go from where he started to where they Mm. are now, I think it will Mm. be inspirational to people. But also that pathway and sharing kind of that, um, they're not kind of secrets, but those, those stepping stones from getting from one to two practices to... You know, he's in the mid-30s now and, and he's going to be at 50 practices mm. by the end of the year. That That is a, is a meteoric rise. Everybody who's interested in owning or running a dental practice or growing a group should be listening to this. Definitely, definitely. I think, as as we, we know, the people that we've seen who've aspired to grow a group but never got past three or five, mm. you know, because either, well, for whatever reason, but but he he's done it. That's you know, amazing. Yeah, no, there's, there's, there's real gold in there. No, it's fabulous. So welcome to our latest episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. And we are incredibly fortunate today we to are. be joined by Dev Patel. Slot uh, us into his uh, diary. Incredibly busy schedule. So Dev's a dentist, also founder and CEO of Dental Beauty Partners, the founder of Dental Circle, the training network for dental professionals, an absolute entrepreneur. And get this, the only dentist in the UK to win an award at every award show in dentistry. Amazing. That's quite impressive, isn't it? Welcome, Dev. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, pleasure to have you. Uh, pleasure to have me, sorry. Um, really glad to be here and speaking to you guys again. Yeah, but 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 genuinely, um, we know how busy you are. We're going to talk about the things you're doing within mm. Dental Beauty at the moment, but the speed at which you're moving, we're, we're grateful for you to find the time to, to talk yeah, to yeah. us. We'll, we'll get to, to your journey and discuss kind of the growth plans that you've got that are happening in Dental Beauty Partners and what makes a difference. But to start with, could you just kind of tell us, you know, what was your childhood like? How did things start for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a typical uh, English, Indian, uh, you know, born in the UK um I don't think I had much of a different childhood to most dentists in the UK to once you uh went to you know school studied hard uh I think I've always been quite entrepreneurial um I've been brought and bred up in a family of uh hard-working Indians my parents came from East Africa got kicked out from there due to uh, political reasons as I'm sure most other Indians in the country did in their age group and uh, back in the 70s and then um you know I think a lot of their um, bread and butter traits of, you know, hard work, hard work ethic, um, you know, caring for people as medical professionals, they were pharmacists, um, all those kind of things have taken, um, you know, they've kind of rubbed off on me over the years. Um, And, you know, I had a very different child to most other kids in my year, for sure. I was working in a pharmacy 12 hours a day from the age of six. So, you know, it wasn't that straightforward as, um, you know, going riding my bike and, 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 and eating sweets. Every yeah. Um, but that was, was that, it, was it, was that the family business? Yep. Dad was a pharmacist, uh, owned a single pharmacy and yeah, all, you know, all the bread and butter things you learn as one, one pharmacist, you know, owning your own business. Mm. It's the same for any business you do, whether you're a billion yeah. dollar company or, or, or you know, a, a multi-million dollar company, it's the same stuff, right? So did you, did you do any entrepreneurial things at school then, Dev? Like, you know, sell sweets, you know, buy them from so-and-so or like, 
I'm just yeah. intrigued, you know, like that. What yeah. is it? Richard Branson sold records while standing in a phone box. Yeah. So did you do anything like that? I, I, I think you actually answered that question already, but yeah, the answer is yes. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I look, I think when I was in year three, um, I went to, um, uh, quite a nice school and, um, I realized that, uh, all of, all my school friends had, had, had quite a lot of money on them for some reason. Um, so I decided to, um, find a hole in the market because our top shop wasn't selling um juices or fizzy drinks so i decided to go to the local um news agent buy a 24 pack of capri suns sold each one for £2.50 and made a pretty good margin on that because of 12 pack oh what a result but then you got 12 pack for like about two pounds for the whole thing so um Brilliant. yeah made some good margins now didn't pay tax in it but then actually got told off but year three that's pretty cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then i got told off for that as well i got detention apparently um abusing the system in the school so uh yeah <laughs> so, so probably so, just jealous so so, so for selling setting, setting sugary drinks so for selling sugary drinks to keats was the redemption well, you had to become a dentist was, actually, was that it was actually sugar-free capri sun as well oh i was being good there as well um no and design the future and a few future future planning devil like that very good yeah. i mean uh it was cash right no tax was more, more better than that uh but uh oh, hello you guys still there yeah sorry yeah, yeah, we're, yeah we're fine this camera went off there um yeah so i think it's one of those things where it was i mean you know when, when you work in a shop and you're seeing and you're working on the counter and selling products and you know you're um you know you're, you're taking money from pay from from from, from 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 customers coming in you're giving out prescriptions all these small little traits of how to run a business and, you know, thinking about why you're doing it for, how you're doing it, it ticks, it makes a mind tick and you start to think about, oh, you know, the, we could do the same thing in, in this or this or this. So always been quite entrepreneurial from that side of things. Um, mm. Started trading stocks at about 14 years old at school as well, you know. Um, so, yeah, really got into uh, understanding business and basic P&Ls and, and balance sheets before probably university even. Um, and then after that, you know, things just focus on dentistry really um for about five mm -hmm. years and then came out and i and, I and was that and was that encouraged in 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 the family because your father uh was it was it was it your father the pharmacist or your mother dad's or? a pharmacist um my brother's actually a dentist who's three years older than me as well um i would say he um very similar to myself in terms of that kind of entrepreneurial spirit um but he he's one of those kind of guys who will um have 120 ideas but deliver on zero um and then i'm the opposite i only have three or four ideas but deliver in all of them hopefully and, and do it 110 percent mm. so you know it's about because we were together pretty much all of our pretty much all our childhood mm. we kept you know bounce ideas off each other and we had 101 ideas that we could have done dentistry by the time we were second year at university almost um we set up a company that was um it was a pediatric um scripture model whereby you could um get or, hy or hygiene advice uh, stickers and goodie bags for practices that wanted that extra level of service for kids um and you'd pay us a monthly fee for that so you know we were doing so many different things at, at, you know even while we were at university level it was i think kind mm. of a matter of time before i got my hand stuck into real business afterwards mm -hmm. um and then yeah obviously looked to buy a practice quite early on mm. so going back to you and your brother what what is the distinct difference between your ability to have this laser focus to deliver and and focus on the deliverables yet your brother has has all these ideas but doesn't quite get them what what it's amazing it's a great how, how come there's that I difference mean, uh, i hope he doesn't listen to this but um you know what it's, it's funny because we had the exact same education the exact same subjects at school almost the same grades um it, 
same household, like it's almost impossible not to have, you know, almost exactly the same outcomes, right? Because mm. in theory, you've brought up in the same environment, the same level of, um, you know, love, care, um, teaching, work ethic, everything's given to you exactly the mm -hmm. same way. We're only three years apart in terms of age. Um, and for some reason, we're almost polar opposites in terms of work ethic. Um, it is fascinating, it, isn't it? it how it's so it's, it's yeah. nature it's a, and nurture. Well, I was going to say, it's that, there's that TV program, isn't there, on Netflix, Three Identical Strangers, yeah. where there were triplets. And there was an experiment where they got put into different households. And, and by putting them in different environments, they behaved in different ways. Mm. Yeah. And so there's obviously something that happened in that three-year difference in, in age gap that mm. meant that you just processed and you approached things in a slightly different way. And genetics. Yeah. It's just your wide different. Yeah, I think the two things I would put it down to is one, energy. I'm pretty sure everyone knows I've got enough energy for the rest of the, the next hundred years. So <laughs> one, one thing is I've got a lot more energy than him, which is just down to just like, you know, personality, I guess, and metabolism. I don't know what it is. Um, and I think the second thing is just uh, friend group, maybe. My friends, uh, two or three of my best friends were very entrepreneurial, you know, constantly talking about, you know, business opportunities, et cetera, et cetera, where I think his friends were from the opposite. So maybe it was just that kind of, like who you surround yourself with um kind of uh, mm. mentality um so i mean i don't think he's gonna go choose business friends at the age of seven but it just happened to be that way right so um mm. yeah look, i think it's uh it, it's very interesting i'm still quite amazed by how different we are um even though both dentists he's got a mini group in australia i've got a group obviously in the uk um both understand exactly the same level of uh you know caliber of business but just very different places in life right um mm. and ambitions mm. too right different ambitions too right he, he's happy with what he's got and i'm constantly not happy so yeah it's just one of those things mm. and that's the other thing as well isn't it you know there's there's no kind of rule book that says you're happier because you're more successful by whatever measure exactly. you know 100%. you're loving what you're doing and enjoying it and i'm sure your brother's got an amazing life and enjoying what he's doing it, it yeah. doesn't mean that one's better it's just different and mm. different people want different things and exactly 100 percent. i think i tell that to all dentists as well i said sometimes some people are like oh i want to buy my first practice i want to do this i want to do that i'm saying why and they can't answer the why they go oh because he's doing it or i'm at the age now i should be doing it yeah. i'm like what a rubbish yeah. idea yeah rubbish. I'm happy you're an associate just do it you know do what you think you, what mm. you enjoy in life um and i've always had quite high expectations of what i want to get to in life so just you know it's one of those things i guess right yeah, I'll tell you one thing that you mentioned earlier on, I'm, I'm interested to know. So you mentioned customers and you mentioned patients. Do you see patients as customers and or just as patients? It's an interesting one because some people feel seeing patients as customers, as in people who pay for goods, is almost sort of not the done thing. Or do you sort of look at it and say, well, actually, they are patients and customers as well? Uh, I think that question is quite straightforward because if you look at a dictionary, a customer is someone who pays for a service and patients are paying for a service. So no matter what everyone says, they're a customer, no matter what, they, you know, it's yeah. fact, right? I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But a lot yeah. of dentists seem to have this real sort yeah. of funny thing think, about a customer. Well, the thing is, right, is dentists don't like talking about money. They don't like talking about services yeah. and how you charge for stuff. They don't think they're worth enough half the time. Um, it's just their mindset, you know? You have to understand that you are running a business, whether you're an associate, whether you're a principal, you're working in a business, you're self-employed, so therefore you have your own business almost if you're self-employed. Therefore, you should know your own P&L. You should know what kind of revenue you're bringing in, how much you're bringing in each day. Um, you should know what you're charging. These are things that no matter what you think you, you are or not doing, you're, a, you're offering a service to a patient who is a customer. Simple as that. 
Mm. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, definitely. people don't see it as black and white as, as I do. And I think, you know, you guys aren't dentists, but you understand that it is a transaction in the day. Whether we like mm. it or not, no matter how amazing the care is or how quick or sure it is, it's still a transaction. They're paying for a service and you're delivering a service. And that's how mm. HR sees it. That's how the dictionary sees it as well, right? So you just got to follow whatever the facts are in the world. <laughs> Do you, do you find that when you, you know, when you work with your partners and the, the dentists in the practice, do you find that that can sometimes be a bit of a, a hard transition for them to get? Or, or do the partners that you work with obviously have got it and then the dentists may be in the practices? Sometimes you have to re-educate them a bit or is it not, is it not really an issue? I think it depends on who you're hiring here, guys. I mean, there are a large number of dentists out there who don't understand this and have the wrong mindset, which is fine. That's for them, no problems, you know, happy days. They can work in hospital, work in community, do what they want and, you know, just work and not understand how, you know, you're you're running a business essentially. Mm. But I think the dentists who work for us, for sure, are partners, obviously wouldn't become partners in the first place. And then their associates either know it already or get trained to understand that mindset within the first few months. So I I'll be surprised if we have any dentists in our whole group, um, I know most of them, who don't understand that level of, you know, you are offering a service you should be you know given the best outcomes but you are charging for that as well mm-hmm. um so yeah. it is a mindset thing and i think attracting that kind of talent in the back in the practice we we we, we, uh, we operate is, is a key part of our success because as soon as you mm-hmm. start having people with the wrong mindsets and working off different hymn sheets and not working along the same um you know vision missions and goals you're never going to have a successful you know fully steamed business um, mm. that kind of operates to maximum efficiencies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we've talked a lot in the last few minutes about mindset and, and thinking of your own mindset. I, I, you kindly invited me to your Christmas party um, last year and I remember when I, I walked in uh, onto that mezzanine and I looked down onto where all the tables are laid out and I'm like, flip, there's going to be over 300 people in this room. And that was like the back end of 21. We're now in the middle of 22 and you've grown since then. You, you, you know, your growth and your success so far has been remarkable. But where, when did your mindset change from being somebody who was a dentist who had a practice that said, right, I'm now going to grow a group? Was there a moment when that, mm. that clicked or <laughs> was it a case of you kind of, you got a practice, you got another practice and it just evolved? Or was or did, it always you, there before yeah. you even started? Yeah, yeah. Good question, actually. Um, I think there's two different things here. One is mindset and one is when I decided to do a group, right? So the first thing, mindset, I've always had that. I've always thought big. I've always thought bigger picture. Always thought, you know, one, two, three, four, five pieces is never going to be enough for me. So I think that's just a personal mindset I've always had. I mean, I'm thinking billions here. Not Most people don't think more than millions, but I'm thinking, you know, quite down the line here. So I think if you have that, you know, want to become a billionaire mindset you're going to have to start thinking big from day one which is one thing right the second thing is doing a group um and that actually wasn't my initial intention my initial intention was to find a niche within dentistry wherever that may be originally it was dental circle or an app brush link or you know um, afterwards the, the kind of group we did and find something that can offer value to the industry or to patients or some somewhere that i've got my skill set because I knew from doing, you know, the whole five-year course of dentistry in, in, in university, there are 101 things that we're doing archaic, you know, uh, systems and processes or delivery that could be, you know, innovated and changed. The question is which one will make the most sense, grow the fastest and deliver 
the most amount of, you know, um, uh, I would say impact to the wider society, right? So um, that actually was a penny drop moment. Um, and it was basically where I got to the point after two years of buying my first practice in Swanley, free fact there, thank you guys. Um, and essentially <laughs> I, um, I, I took over the practice, grew it really well from, as you probably remembered, Andy, like two to, two to six chairs, um, double the turnover very quickly, won all these awards and stuff, which is great, and had a great team there. And I started to, we launched Brushlink at a time, which is in 2017. And I said, oh, I've got to start go out to the US because we launched a company in the East Coast of America. Um, and I was out probably every two weeks back and forth from the US to the UK. Now, traveling that much is tiring, A, and B, you're not physically able to do patient care anymore because you can't keep pushing back patients every single two weeks because you've got meetings in America, right? You have to work mm. out which one's going to drop. Um, and I got to a point where I had to cut down clinically quite a lot. And at the time, I had a great associate who was um, there currently in the practice for about a year and he wants to buy into practice and i said okay great great guy i taught him well he knows a lot about dentistry now let's let him buy in and we can grow it together while i'm not there physically but we put systems and processes in place for management that were scalable and i've always thought about that being how do i make it digital how do i make it associated from day one um and after that worked for the first six months to a year that's when it dropped it said i'm growing my 30 percent. i'm not in the country anymore and it still works. And that's when I actually realized that the model is not about having 100 practices under my own name. It's not about being the next Bupa or the next IDH. It's actually about having a model that's scalable to keep quality high and leadership high on a local level. Um, and that's mm. what we did. And I think at the same time, just out of luck or age or whatever, that was three or four years into obviously postgraduate. I had other dentists now asking me, you won all these awards, I've had to done really well for your one. You need to pause there, Dev. You, you, oh. you're, 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 you, know, you, you just gloss over three or four years postgraduate. You know, most people are not moving at this speed. You know, we obviously sell dental practices and, and most people that we talk to who are looking to embark on their first acquisition are, are, are probably five to seven years qualified, something like that. You're three to four years. You've already got a practice. You've already put in place what is the, the embryonic system that you can actually build dental beauty on. So you're, you're moving at, a, at lightning speed. Yeah, I think, it, look, I, I don't know why it, it happened well i know that i wanted to buy one from before i even graduated from university so i knew i was going to buy practice eventually um but i think i found it very easy and it came to me naturally it wasn't like i had to go to courses to learn how to run a business or to grow a business mm. i think i already had the foundations of you know customer patient uh, let's just start from the, the four main things running a practice right understanding a business you know understanding your pnls that stuff i knew that i was looking at it when i was at university i knew that already I knew I had to do adjusted EBITDA when I was in first year of university, right? So I knew that part of the business. The second part was team building. I learned that a bit from working in the pharmacy, but also a bit from um, working within a practice in the FD year and, and one year out, because actually, you know, when you work in associates, it's great. You're like a fly on the wall. You're watching within the business on how the practice runs, how it operates, how not to be good at a team, how, good, how, how to run a team properly. And you learn these things mm. from those kind of, you know, environments. Um, I actually thought I learned a lot of the bad things, you know, in some of those years and actually some of the good things from that I went to go shadow. So I spent some time going to see some of the, my mentors from BACD and other places mm. and go watch a practice and learn how to run a good practice, how to run a good team. So you learn a lot from doing those kind of things. So I think teamwork and running a team work really well. Dental Circle helped me a lot just understand like 
you know, how to grow a business from scratch, from literally zero, nothing to set my own company up, how to then, you know, build up your revenues, how to then do your tax returns, everything like that you learn from the startup. I learned that along that way. So that helped a lot for the growth. And then the fourth thing I think running impacts, which is really key is, you know, just thinking about branding and, and what do you want to get? What's your missions? What's your values? What do you want to get towards? And I think I had that from the courses I was doing with, you know, the Crystal course, the BSD le- uh, lectures, and I, I knew I wanted to get the best patient care possible. But bringing that all mm. together is where it became like, you know, almost like a natural thing for me to just grow one practice and it being easy. Um, yes, I've learned a lot since then in terms of things that, that I can do better. And, mm. and, you know, you're not going to get perfect the first time around. But that foundation no. was almost like a good blueprint to start off with that might have taken mm. a bit longer to get to, but I found it quite natural almost. Mm. So what point did you step away from clinical dentistry? Because you obviously had a practice, Brushlink was dragging you backwards and forwards across the Atlantic. So that was compromising your ability to spend time in the surgery treating patients anyway. But what point did you make a conscious decision to to pack in wet-handed dentistry so you could grow the business? Yeah, you know what? It's a great question because I've got quite a few friends right now, I'm sure you will know, who've got their own startups or their own companies doing their own thing in dentistry and thinking, mm. when do I go full-time into this? When do I stop yeah. my bread and butter guaranteed income of doing patient care in mm. dentistry, wet fingered, and go full-time into a startup? And mm. I was very, very fortunate because obviously I had a practice, you know, had a majority shareholding in it, had good cash flow coming from it without even working. And that's something that obviously was allowed me to not have to work and still focus fully on the startup side of the business you know so i think if i didn't have that i would have kept doing at least one day's just income because i'm not i wasn't made out of money right let's just start for nothing so i think that's that's mm-hmm. that's probably why i was allowed to and in my mind i thought if you're gonna do something properly do it with 110 percent or don't do it at all yeah. so mm-hmm. you know if you are going to do a startup rather than taking you five years to do it you do it properly for two years, you know, and you get into it mm. and work it out if it's going to work yeah. or not. And you've go got to be in the canoe or not on the canoe, in the canoe. Yeah. And we yeah. sort of use this analogy, you know, you've got a foot on the bank or a foot in a canoe, you end up in the water. You've either got to be on or or, exactly. or off. It's mm. simple as that, really. Yeah, it's a great analogy. Great, because if you put a bit of weight on the wrong side of it and you think you're half and half, you just fall over. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, it just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so I had to just give it, give it all. And, you know, remember as well, I, I raised money from investors who, you know, were believing in me to, 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 to live on something. So you've got to give 110%. Mm. No, absolutely. And so now, so you've, you, you, you've committed, you're going to grow this group. What's your, what's your style like? Do you work with, as it's grown and it's got a bit bigger, you obviously need more, more managers and, and an executive committee working with you. What, what's your style? Were you kind of that classic solopreneur can, who was doing everything for so long? Can I just ask a question quickly before that? When was the second you know, sort of the practice that was your your first sort of like partnership. When did what what year was that? So the first one, obviously, the first one we bought in Swanley was in 2015, and then the second one was Dulwich, which we bought with our partner um, Canal in 2019. Wow! But wow. in between that right, time, so. there was a lot of time with brush yeah. going on and other things. You know, that kind of delayed. Yeah, that. and just to, just to bookend it, yeah. so you, so you bought this practice, this this second practice in 2019. To bookend it, bring us up to date. We're in May 2022. How many practices in the group at the moment? As of end of next week, 35. And and by the end of this year, you're going to be upwards of 40. 50. Wow. 
And when you think also you've got to weave into the, that terrible thing called COVID, yeah, <laughs> yeah <I was> <laughs> which might have had a bit of an impact somewhere going on. Just to help out the maths, guys, I mean, without COVID, we would have been one per month the last four years. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. And amazing. Thing, which, is that's, which is a place of the whole plan anyway, ideally. So, mm. yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been good um, um, from that side of things in terms of the acquisition growth. But I don't, I don't mm. think that's actually a, prob- a difficult thing to do once you've got the right mm. model. I think once you have the right model and it's scalable, you can go from zero to hundred within you know five years if you if you, if you just. Mm. Were there in that in that journey, Dev? Were there any oh crap moments? Of you know when you are. were like, oh my goodness, are. what have I done? Of <laughs> I, mean, I I tell you know um, people all the time that you know what you can see from the outside of a successful business is only probably ten percent of it. There's so many failures. Um, you know, oh shit, I messed up here, or oh that that should I made a mistake there, or you know, how am I going to get around this problem? I think the only two things that kept me going is my positive mindset and determination. Those are the only two things that, that you can get through as an entrepreneur because there yeah. are probably more losses every single week than our wins. Yeah, I, th- I think one of them, uh, one of the things I've always used in in my head is: Do you remember that film Apollo thirteen? I don't know if you've ever seen the film in Apollo thirteen, and they say, right, guys, we've got to turn these uh, air purifiers to fit this, and then they just give them all the stuff that they have in that sort of like the landing module, and it's like you've got to come up with a solution otherwise these guys are going to die mm. <laughs> and i always think that's a great one that sort of says yep yeah, i've got this what do i do to make it fix how do i make it work yeah i think you know what it is right um dentists specifically are i would say relatively um weak in terms of character when it comes to failure because they're so used to being you know they're straight a students go for university, probably fly past BDS exams every year. They then graduate and they start making hundred grand or whatever a year. Like you don't have mm. many failures along that journey. And you're in a very comfortable mm. position always. You're not out of your comfort zone. You never really have to go out of anywhere apart from what you, you know, you might do your first impart or first. But apart from that, you're not ever pushing yourself to limit. And I think Brushlink and Dental Circle were two things that really, really kind of, um, I got a lot of experience out of that because, you know, it is literally make or die, right? you've got a zero company from day one, you, you either grow or you or you completely shut down. So there's no kind of like, you know, uh, ifs or buts or, or, or kind of ways around that. And I think all the failures you learn along that way and, you know, having to constantly think of solutions that you just don't exist. It's not like you can go to, yeah. you know, a, fel- a filling fails, you know, the problem is, you know, the solution is straight away, you fix it. It's straightforward. They were literally black and white. In a startup, there are 101 things you can go wrong yeah. each day and only one thing that goes right. And you're thinking to yourself, I've got to find 101 solutions for every single thing that's gone wrong. And there's there's no manual, is there? You go, oh, no. hang on, that's on page 73. <laughs> Let me just check. Oh, right, that's the solution. Yeah, I, I actually met, um, I went to Harvard University for a couple of, uh, uh, for a couple of months when I was doing studies out there with, with Bushlink and um, spent a lot of time with some of the MBA students out there. You know, these are the guys who are the best MBAs in the world in Harvard, in business school. And they were saying that basically what they learn on the books and in paper is one thing, but doing it is 10 times harder. And actually doing it the other way around is basically doing MBA in real life. Because all you're doing is learning it the hard way around, but just doing it on, on the day. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, I think it, people don't realize how hard it is. I know there's a few people out there, um, you know, who are doing startups now and, and along that same journey, but it is really tough. And I think 
you know, startups being techies is one thing, but any company is a startup, any new Scots is a startup, you know, any, you guys sitting in from scratch, right? It's a startup, it all counts the same thing. The, the, the burdens you're gonna take and, and some of those losses along the way, it's just part of life. Um, but you have to be positive, you have to get through it and you wanna put determination in to, to really make sure that you can find the solution and get to the end of that, you know, that journey and not quit halfway. Mm-hmm. But that that goes back to the mindset of things, exactly. isn't it? About being comfortable with failure and almost yeah. seeking failure out. You know, people, lots of people use the gym as an analogy. The reason you go to the gym is to fail. Yeah, it's to do reps for as long as you can at a certain weight, and when you get to failure, you know that you've you've got to your limit, and then you try and go mm. a bit further. But in business, that people are quite scared of that. But you know, the the things that you've done. Um, there's lots of micro failures and it's how you adjust and you accommodate those. But the world being what it is, people tend to only see the successes, don't they? They see kind of the, mm. the growth and the things that are happening yeah, yeah. because you kind of manage those those failures yourself. Mm. When, you, when you're talking about um, focusing on business, you know, doing something exceptionally well, kind of, you know, going for the moon, you might hit the stars type approach. <laughs> um, you sold Brushlink. So you've now got, you know, dental beauty partners, I guess, as your as your primary focus. Um, what what was the reason for selling Brushlink? Was it that you saw more potential in dental beauty partners? Was the timing just right? Were you being stretched a bit thin in terms of resource? Yeah, look, I think um, it was a combination of things. COVID hit at the same time. Um, it required a full time team in the US, which uh, at the time none of our team were, you know, really wanted to to to, to really, uh, relocate to. And I think it's also a thing of um, time time spent on building something from scratch you've built the platform it's now i've been taken to the next level and you really commit to my moving house moving the whole family i just had a baby as well at the time um and you know give it out you know take it to the next level or the next step or pass on that that kind of platform you built with the software and the data and some of those contacts we have with insurance companies someone else who can then do the same thing but already have a bigger base and a bigger scalable mm. um platform um, so we got acquired by a company based in Silicon Valley who already were looking at dental startups, putting together, rolling them up. Um, one of the directors in there was actually Mark Zuckerberg's dad, who's a dentist, which is a bit random. Um, so yeah, like all these different things, you know, um, uh, at the time just made a lot of sense. Um, and I think from my point of view, I was really getting stretched everywhere. We had 12 practices at the time, um, two more in the pipeline um, during COVID. Um, you know, there was obviously the whole debacle with trying to work out how to reopen again with PPE and you remember all these times Andy you was on my webinar you know what do we do in terms of how do we open up again with yeah. NHS what's happening to private you know there's so much risk by having that many practices on one person's name or a few people you know myself and our partner's names you, you think I need to be the leader here take over what you know it's not like it's running easily now you're gonna have to re- reinvent the mm. whole group again from scratch to become COVID compliant and you know rebound back to be able to you know do your bank debts again and repay all your loans etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think I, it made sense for many reasons but at the time it just made sense to the company as well because it, it was in a great place a lot of growth potential and just had the right home to, to, to take take it to the next level mm. really um mm. and you know when you are born in the uk you're not from the us so working in the us working with companies in the us is different a whole different ball game you know and you need to know that market know the way that people do business out there be physically present there to go to meetings regularly and fly between states. So, yeah, I think having the baby, you know, having the, the right timing um, and just the amount of kind of things I was running all at the same time just made a lot of sense. And mm. yeah, kind of, you, um, you talk about being a, 
Yeah, and you talk about being a leader in, in, in dental beauty. Has you Have you needed to adapt your leadership style as the business has got bigger? And how do you manage it? Because you've got your partners resident in the individual practices, but at a kind of head office level, how is dental beauty managed? Yeah, so I think the leadership more so came during COVID because someone had to step up to just take mm. control over what we're going to be doing, what's the next steps. It's like crisis mode, right? I always say, you know, yeah. during crisis mode, someone needs to step up and just take control and, you know, yeah. take the ball by the horns and crack on and get on with it. So I think we did a good job in that. And it wasn't just my own, obviously. All the partners got involved and, and we together worked out what the next step's going to be and how we're going to take this forward. So I think mm. that was, um, you know, mainly during that time. I always say after that, and even now, we are partners. You know, I don't make decisions for the company. I don't say tomorrow we're going to start selling, you know, Sonic toothbrushes. I say, you know, we are. I'm here to support our partners to give them my two cents and what I think you should be doing. They say no, that's not what I think we're doing. Fine, you know, don't do it. But I'm actually here to help you guys to develop and get from A to B. The good thing is we have yeah. a lot. They've got a lot of trust and respect to me because they know what I've done and, and what I can do for them and help them. And I go above and beyond for them and vice versa. So we have that mutual relationship. So it is a very strong partnership between, and not just me now, it's the whole of our head office team and our partners. Mm. So when you say what is a structure, we have practices with partners on each practice who are their own CEOs, their own practices. And our head office team, led by myself, um, are the support function laterally to support them, deliver the marketing, the recruitment, the HR functions, the finance functions, and the operation functions for the practice. Mm. Yes, it's, it's smart. And I think it goes back to that thing you said earlier on about having somebody on the ground who owns the business. They motivate the team. They're there on a daily basis. Their arse is on fire. Yeah, completely, completely. I mean, as a, as a leader, you know, you're incredibly motivational, you're incredibly positive, you have the, the, the right sort of outlook. When you were younger, who, who, did, you, who did you look to as being, as being good leaders that you took inspiration from? Yeah, it's a good question, actually, because um, come folk comes to the question you asked right at the end of this thing as well. I don't really have, like, um, I, I, I wouldn't say I have, like, a, an idol or, or, or a specific mentor. I think I learned a lot from my, some of my dad and my uncle, who both, you know, ran businesses, and obviously their stories are 10 times more inspirational than mine because they came from zero, and they've obviously built up mm. uh, businesses from scratch, came in during times of racism and all that other stuff they had to do in the 70s right and um, so i think they had you know three jobs while at university i think myself you know, if i had an easy life i think uh, what i'm doing now is still pretty easy compared to what these guys have to go through right so i i, I think <laughs> you know if you look at that as probably my biggest inspiration that's probably that and then in terms of like you know learning business and learning um how to you know create companies i haven't been taught by anybody specifically i would say I've, I've i've seen you know some great dentists like samir patel obviously with 11 dental and um i spent a bit of time with mark hughes as well and monica bassant you know some of these guys a long time ago had some calls with them but these are like one or two hour calls right they're not going to teach you everything in life so i think a lot of this stuff just come, came naturally to me and i think i've always looked at it as you know if i like apple if i like going to a nice hotel what are they doing right and how they that into mm. my business as well. So I think one of the things that I would say is a big strength for me is that I do take my everyday life and think, well, if I want to get to that same brand level, that same kind of company, what are they doing why and how do I bring it into my business? So those are the kind of things I think have brought all of it together for me mm. sometimes. Mm. And I think that's healthy within dentistry. I think one of the things that dentistry possibly does suffer with, it's quite incestuous. The same people yeah, yeah. Um, as providers kind of keep circling around within the profession. I think <laughs> where you get 
external people coming in or people looking outside and drawing in ideas from from other markets or other sectors. I think yeah. it can be really healthy. Yeah, looking at what hotels do and experiences, yeah. car showrooms, stuff like that. I think all that is invaluable, really. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. in an interview, the, 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 the actual um, patient journey experience has been there for way before my time. I think, you know, there were guys doing it 30 years ago who just amazing patient, you know, these guys more than I do, you know, in central London and, and in Manchester, even, you know, the Kiss brand, these guys are doing this stuff way before I was mm. in terms of patient journey. The one thing that I think I bought differently to the UK was that model for the partner model which came from the US originally when I when I went out there. And I think that's actually a legal requirement. You have to have a dentist with equity in each practice. So, you know, that model wasn't like a, a, a new thing out there. But spending a lot of time out there made me realise that that actually model can really work well and it can be scalable. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting though. I mean, and we've known a couple of people who've tried it, but not succeeded at yeah. all. So, you know, there's something that you've done, whether it's whether it's you, you know, and your drive. We, we've seen a number of times where but they've sort of looked at it and it's just failed. It's just yeah. failed big time by they've either not chosen the right partners. And I think that must be a big part of your success is, you know, almost your <laughs> your interviewing of, of, of assessment of who you want to work with. Yeah, I think it's, it's a good point, actually, because um, obviously Dentex tried doing it when they first came to market with the actual partnership model with young dentists um i think there's a couple of other smaller players in the market i think the the one thing that we did quite well was um when we first had the concept of a partnership we did one practice obviously first and we knew we want to roll it out i spent probably six months speaking to private equity firms bankers uh, my in-laws people that you know know that sector well about how do you properly structure a group backwards from you know exit almost backwards yeah, and think what do we need to get towards? What stuff do you need paperwork wise? What kind of legal documents do you need? What kind of structure do you need for equity? How's it? You know the midco stuff. All these different things you've got to plan it mm. from backwards. You know because as Andy mm. mentioned before we jumped into this, there are so many practices I know. You know multi site owners who just buy practices just one at a time, keep going, keep going. Whether by three, four, five, twenty, and they haven't thought the other way around about how you set structure things in the first place, and they're constantly chasing their tail because they're not thinking the next step ahead. Mm. Mm. I think that's one thing that we've done really well is that we have literally looked at, I mean, the model actually is not even that different in the UK. The same model has been done by Specsavers and Optical Express. It's, it's a joint venture model, even with Veterans mm. as well. So it's not like it's a mm. new thing for some of the UK healthcare even. And actually, if you think backwards from what you want to achieve and work out what you need to get there, it's much easier because you're actually just planning. It's like mm. dentistry, right? I always treat and plan a patient when I look at them straight away in the mouth, backwards saying, your end result is this. We need to do X, Y, Z to get you there in the first place. So that mindset mm. actually comes yeah. from industry as well, to be fair. It's not just, um, you know, business only. Mm. Mm. But I think you're right. I think a lot of small and mid-sized groups just keep bolting practices yeah. There's on. There's no destination planning. No. It's like, oh, hang on. You, know, no. you wouldn't get in a car and go, oh, shit where yeah. am i going oh yeah i want to go to edinburgh oh yeah we always start off with going to edinburgh don't we so so if we if we roll out five ten years from now where does dental beauty partners end up um well look i think at least in the next five years i would hope to be in the top 10 you know biggest players in the uk um and in 10 years time probably top three right yeah yeah yes. any overseas ambitions in there dev we're already part of a um, overseas group, uh, Chris. Um, we are part of European Dental Group, which is the second biggest player in Europe. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So, uh, I was just thinking of it. Of you, do you move your model to them, or did they bring? They do did they fund? Already. They did the same thing that we do already. So it's not like uh, 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 okay. doing Europe. So we're we're all partnership model anyway. So I think you know that as a group, we'll probably be the biggest in Europe by far within the next five years. Anyway, um, we're growing very. I mean, you think we're growing fast? Imagine doing it with seven countries. <laughs> we all do the same thing at that level of growth, right? So I think, yeah, wow. we, we've got about 450 clinics and 200 labs now and, and et cetera, et cetera. So I think we are um, going to be the biggest player in Europe by far and potentially mm. eventually in the world, I think. So- and tapping into that wider resource and, and knowledge base and experience can only help you over here. I'm literally going mm. there next week to spend time with other CEOs in all the other countries to kind of, you know, share best practices and see how we can, Mm. which makes so much sense yeah that I, I, everybody uses that phrase learn from your mistakes and we always mm. say no no learn from somebody else's learn from much somebody easier. else's mistakes cheaper. yeah it's much cheaper it's it a is. much better idea yeah no no you're, uh, you're like i say I, I i feel exhausted just hearing about the speed at which you're moving to be honest i need to go and have a lie down <laughs> it, honestly I, I think it's staggering i think it, it really is and and you 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 make it look so easy and we know it's not uh, and that's a lot of your personality and your style and the confidence you have in yourself but the, the waves you're making and i think other people should take massive inspiration from you because the profession is all joined up one way or the other and there's no reason why anybody should feel that your success diminishes theirs or they're losing as a result of you winning everybody can do well and i think as a as a shining star within dentistry i think what's happening is is, is good for the profession generally and hopefully this uh, the market for dentistry in the uk is expanding you yes know, that's one of the things that might have come out of covid i think is mm. that the the approach from the public towards dentistry has changed oh, abso- i think oh, absolutely has absolutely has um we always finish up in the same way way dev we always ask our guests the two same questions and the first one is if you could be the fly on the wall with somebody in a certain situation where where would you be and who would you be with um i've been thinking about this actually and i think um if i could be a fly on the wall in a certain situation um i would love to be generally within uh, number 10 downing street just to see what these guys talk about, because it, it it it's almost astounding how poorly I think our government runs this country, and I, I'm saying that because I think that from the outside, but I wouldn't know unless I'm actually in that room. Um, mm-hmm. I think sometimes you know the press and everyone else you know always says the negative things about what's going on, but you know from our point of view I think they can do better. But once again, you know everyone thinks I can do better as well, but it depends on obviously when you're actually in that room. So I'd actually love yeah. to be in, in 10 Downing Street one day during you know, during those crisis meetings during COVID and seeing what these guys are talking mm. about because now looking back on all of it, you know, what were the stuff right? Was it wrong? No one, you know, there's still mm. an answer on whether it was right or wrong, how we reacted to all of it. But even with the, you know, with, with the way the CEO, you know, managed industry, for example, just being in that room, listening to how yeah. they were strategizing, how they're going to take care of the whole country. I was running my own group worrying about my own you know my own dentist my own patient base but this is a whole country and mm. oh you know big decisions big decisions to be made and so many there's so much chit chat on facebook groups and what you know you see it as well right about what they could have done better what they should have done x y and z mm. um but you know it'd be lovely just to see like how these guys think mm. what they actually mm. do because um no it would be because because i think you're right i think a lot of things that get reported it's manipulated or spun one yeah. way or the other and I also genuinely believe, I don't think people ever set out to try and make bad or wrong decisions. Mm. Yeah. 
I think with hindsight, sometimes they weren't the best decisions, but with the information they had at the time, I, I genuinely believe people try to make good decisions. Implementing so, change in a, one company is hard enough. Implementing change in a country yeah. is like... Pff, you know, but also it had to be done rapidly yes. in real time yeah. with with no knowledge of what the impact would be of the step you've taken. So, yeah, I, yeah, that would be a fascinating one. Fascinating it changes one. every five years. Can you imagine if leadership changed every five years in a business? You know, you're right, you're off now, Dev. We're going to get someone else in to, to try and yeah. run this. Right now, they're off, going to get someone else in. Yeah. It's just like madness. Oh, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And, and then our last question is about um, if you could meet somebody, if you had the opportunity to sit down and, and have a dinner or a glass of wine with somebody, who would you like to, to sit down and meet? Probably laugh at me, but it would be Jay-Z. Uh, really oh wow yeah i'm a i'm a big fan of jay-z but you know i think it's um it's a similar kind of story as i mentioned before you know coming from almost nothing to to, to you know building uh, an empire and you know becoming one of the most famous people in the world in terms of music and stuff i would love to speak to the guy from like you know two three hours and find out you know his journey his successes his failures because um yeah i think there's a lot of um i'm a big fan of music and obviously uh, that that gives me a bit of motivation, inspiration as well on a daily basis. But, you know, seeing someone when you've grown up with that person, I'm sure you guys have similar, you know, musicians that you'd want to spend, you know, a dinner with or, or, or a few hours with to talk to them. It would just be interesting to, to kind of, yeah, speak mm. to the guy. But like you said, I yeah. suppose everybody sees him for kind of the music and the fashion, but there's so much more to the guy. You don't get to the level that he's at. Yeah. By by just being those things, and he's there's married a real to Beyonce, depth. so that's not yeah. Bad, <laughs> there's obviously a real depth to him in terms of how he's built his life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, keeping to that level of 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 being still on top of his game for 20, 30 years, that's really interesting to me. I think you see a lot of celebrities who footballers or musicians coming for three or four years and then they die off, and then you know no one really knows what you know, after that. Like that, you know, oh that guy from twenty years ago, that kind of one hit wonder. But someone like him who's just been on top of his game for 20, 30 years and still is like, you know, an icon mm. even now after he's like 50 plus, right? It's just you know, like Beckham, right? It's just amazing how these guys can still be top of the game. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, brilliant, brilliant. Dev, we really appreciate your time. Yeah, fantastic, like say, thank we, you. We know how busy you are and we know you've got a lot going on, but I think to give people an insight as to how you've got there and some of those nuggets of those kind of small granular things that you have to do to, to build a business, I'm sure the listeners will take a huge amount from that. Year three, that's when you started. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, brilliant. No, really, brilliant. Really appreciate your time today, Dev. Thank you, guys, for having me on. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Dave. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram. <laughs>